Our text for this afternoon is Ephesians 5, verses... Well, I'm going to read to you 15 through 21. Our, our study will be verses 18 to 21. But for now, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. This is the Word of God. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish... But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you again. We desire, as we sang, that we might behold our God by beholding your word. Help us now to study, to grow, to repent, to be strengthened, to learn, to honor you better. Do your work in your people and save the souls of those um, who may not know you. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we discussed a question that were you to ask several different Christians, you likely would have heard several different answers. How does one know the will of God? And Paul told us not to be foolish, but to understand the will of God. And we discussed the fact that God wants us to know his revealed will in his holy word. And that's all well and good, but sometimes it might make you feel a little non-spiritual. You ever feel that way? Like, I know I'm supposed to do it this way, but that doesn't sound like the spiritual way to do it. I mean, other Christians you talk to talk about the filling and the leading of the Spirit. And does it feel like, I mean, are we eliminating the Spirit's role and the Spirit's function in our lives, if we say that the will of God is revealed in God's Word, rightly studied and applied? Are we being unspiritual if we tell you that if you delight in God and obey God's commands, you're actually free to make choices as you see fit, and you will still be within the will of God? Let me assure you, a proper and biblical understanding of the will of God for the life of the Christian does not and will never ignore the presence of or filling of God's Holy Spirit. In fact, a proper application of Scripture will tell us that being filled with the Spirit of God is vital that for us to be able to walk wisely and not foolishly, to walk worthy of our calling. But the filling of the Spirit is inseparably linked to the right study and application of the Bible. So as we carry on in our little study of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, we're going to see once again the command of God to be filled with his spirit. But right after that command, we see three things that are surely going to be present in the lives of all who are filled with the spirit. And comfortingly to many of us, None of this is going to be odd or mystical. So let's find four points together as we study how to walk filled with God's Spirit 
in the church. And the first point, which may sound redundant since I just told you what we're going to do, point number one, be filled with the Spirit. Point number one, be filled with the Spirit. Where do I get that from? How about chapter 5, verse 18? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you guys may recall this verse from a couple weeks ago. You may recall some discussion of it in Sunday school this morning. And I return to it here as a point of review and really as the basis of what we're going to study today in verses 19 to 21. In verse 18, Paul contrasts the sinful practice of being drunk with the righteous command to be filled with the Spirit. And in that contrast, you can learn a little bit about what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. A person who is drunk can be said to be filled with wine. And simply put, this means that the drunk person is being powerfully influenced by or even controlled by the drink in their system. God says that's debauchery, a wasteful sin. But on the other hand, the person who is filled with the Spirit is a person who has the Spirit of God present in his or her life in such a way that they are influenced powerfully by the Spirit of God. So what's not meant here by the filling of the Spirit? Paul's not saying some believers have the Spirit and some don't. Every person who comes to Jesus Christ in saving faith is given the Spirit of God to indwell them at the point of their conversion as a seal of God's promise of eternal life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In the days of the Old Testament, yes, people like Samson or King Saul, they had the Spirit come and then leave them. But in the new covenant, once you are in Christ, you have the Spirit with you to stay. There is no more of the Holy Spirit for you to receive. You cannot get extra Holy Spirit that God did not give you at your salvation. There is no way, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God can leave you. But the Christian can, from time to time, be more or less influenced by the Spirit. The Christian can, in rebellion, grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. Well, at the end of our message on the will of God from last week, you guys remember that one, don't you? Good, because I don't want to have to do that one again. I called us there to remember the call of Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the point that I was making there is very similar to the call here to be filled with the Spirit. Focus on God. Aim your life at God. Think and pray that God actively work in you and through you to shape you into his image for his glory. Pray. Study the word. Set your mind on things above. You know, there are a few images that the Greek word for being filled connote. Literally, by the way, the word here in verse 18 is not just be filled, but continually or keep on being filled. 
with the Spirit. The voice says to keep doing it. One of the images might be that a glass is filled with liquid. You guys get that picture, don't you? Another image of filling is a sail on a ship being filled by the wind. So the ship is empowered to move because the sails are filled. Filled filled can indicate salt permeating a dish. Have you all ever had uh, a dish that seemed to be filled with salt? (laughs) Nobody needs to look at anybody else in this room right now, by the way, you know. And the idea there is that the salt goes all the way through. A fourth image a filled is to be totally controlled by a thing. So that you might say that a person who's filled with grief is being controlled by their grief. A person filled with wine is being controlled by their wine. If you put all four of those thoughts together, and you will see what God is calling you to do, Christian. Have his spirit present in your life because you're saved, empowering your life because you pray, flavoring your life as you change and controlling your life as you surrender to him more and more each day. That's filled with the Spirit right there. John MacArthur writes, to be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if you were standing right next to him, and to let his mind dominate our life. It is to fill ourselves with God's word so that his thoughts will be our thoughts. His standards, our standards. His work, our work. And his will, our will. As we yield to the truth of Christ, the Holy Spirit will lead us to say, do, and be what God wants us to say, do, and be. It's pretty good. MacArthur particularly emphasizes the fact that Scripture is central to the concept of being filled with the Spirit. Unlike some preachers out there, the idea is not to say that you're either filled with the Spirit or focused on the Scripture. No, no, no. There is no such thing as being a Spirit-filled Christian who is not a Scripture-filled Christian. If you wish to see God, love God, know God, obey God, yield to God, you must study the word of God. If you peek at verse 19 here in Ephesians 5, you'll see that the first thing that Paul says about being filled with the Spirit includes singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I want you to listen to the parallel verse to this passage in the letter to the Colossians, Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So listen to me, catch this. This is big. In Ephesians... Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. In the parallel in Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. Focusing your life on the Lord while never taking your eyes off the word rightly studied and applied is how to be filled with the Spirit. Letting the word dwell in you richly and being filled with the Spirit are twins. Well, then the question might come, what will our lives look like if we're filled with God's Spirit? And there are three things Paul says to us in verses 19 to 21 that are marks of a Spirit-filled life. They are surely not the only marks that are there in Scripture. You can look to the fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5 if you want to see more marks of being filled with the Spirit. But today, for you and me here today, by God's sovereign will, God has three particular markers that we must see in our lives if we are obeying God's command to be continually, regularly, repeatedly filled with his Spirit. So let's keep going. Point number two now. Number two. Sing filled with the Spirit. Sing filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 19 Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spirit-filled followers of the Lord sing. Amen? This has been true from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. It has been true from creation through today and will be true forever. spirit filled followers of the Lord sing. So Christian friends, there's a reason why we sing together in our worship services. And the primary reason is that God has commanded us to do so. God not only wants, but also requires his people to sing. And as the people of God grow to know and love the Lord more and more, we will find that singing the praise of God is something we will learn to love to do. Now, right away, before we talk about the biblical call to sing, let me try to offer some comfort here. God does not demand that you have a good voice to sing his praise. You happy about that? Some of you are, right? I'm glad about it because I don't know that mine meets, meets the, uh, the bill. God, God does not demand that you even be a person who enjoys music typically. Are, are there some of you here, honestly, who just aren't music people? Like church is the only place you get music, otherwise it's not on? That's okay. That's okay. God does not demand you be a musically focused, music-loving person. What God says is that you, yes, you, Christian, are supposed to sing his praises. And when you sing God's praises with a heart for God's glory, God is going to be pleased and God is going to grow you. Now, let's look at some of the details about our singing. This is cool. Let's talk first about the audience of our singing. To whom do we sing? Be careful answering this question. In point of fact, this verse is clear 
that we sing for two audiences, not an audience of one, as some people suggest. Look with your eyes at verse 19. Who do we address in our songs? One another. We address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16, which calls us to sing, begins by saying that we are to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So in both instances, our singing, your church singing, is intended not for God alone. Instead, your singing along with the people of God is intended to be a tool that the Lord would use for you to encourage and teach and even warn one another. Today, we're here in a really strange time in our history, aren't we? Wouldn't you agree? What other time in history would I have a mask on the pulpit? That's not normal, right? While many of our folks are gathered together, many are not able to be here. And that's sad, folks. Now, listen to me really clearly, especially you on Facebook. I am not saying a single thing against a person who believes that for his health or for the health of somebody around him, he needs to participate in the live stream of the service. You all get that, right? We are glad that we have the technology to protect the people who believe they need to be protected. Yes? Amen. And I'm glad. I'm glad we can do that and we can do it live. We're doing our very best to make this the best we can for you who have to watch this. With all that said, we know that when you have to do this through the stream, you lose some of the joy of singing. And I know that because I've done it myself. I've, I've been away one week when I was out of town and watched the stream. And the joy of the singing, for me at least, wasn't the same. You see, because we're not singing just to the Lord. We're singing to one another. It is your job, it's your biblical call, Christians, to be singing to one another. And you lose, when you're on the stream, the sound of voices blending and you miss out on the ability to turn and see a fellow believer in the Lord. Maybe somebody very different than you, but that person is declaring the same truth as you in song. All right, you crazies here in the room, look, at, look around. Look at these people. How many of these people are just like you? How many of you are glad that they're not just like you? Isn't it great that people who are not anything like you are singing, Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing of his wonder and wonderful love. That's good together, isn't it? Or all of a sudden, together, you as a room full of people declared of Jesus, from heaven he came and sought her, the church, to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's good, isn't it? Now again, it is not in the least wrong for somebody to stay home if 
they're concerned for their health or for the health of others. Not wrong. Next, I've got somebody I told they had to stay home today because they told me they had a fever. And I would love to have you here, but I'm glad you're taking care of your family. But I will not say, I will not say that you're missing out on something good. I will not say that you're not missing out on something good. I will not say that you're not missing out on God's perfect design for the church if you're providentially hindered from being able to be here. You all know what that's like? This is also why if you're not worried about your health, if you're not concerned for the health of others around you, I genuinely believe you ought to be here with us. You should be obeying the command of God to sing to one another. You should be obeying the command of God to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I would urge you not ever to use the live stream as an excuse to stay, to stay home because it's just more convenient to stay home. We use the stream for safety, but if safety is not the concern, I would urge you to do everything you can to obey the command of God to sing his praises for the good of your soul and so that you can play your part in the ministry of the local congregation because you do ministry when you sing for one another to hear. So, now let's just, I'm going to step away from being sermonic here. Are you all with me with that? Does that make sense to you all what I'm saying? You realize I'm not picking on the folks at home, right? You folks at home get that too, don't you? We can't hear them, but I'm sure they all agreed. But God designed us to be together, didn't he? And we do everything we can. Now, guys, I want you to be as careful as you can be. I want you to respect each other's safety. I want you to respect each other's needs and concerns. I don't ever want any of us to be nasty to each other in any way whatsoever regarding the issues related to health. But I love it that we're together, that we can be. Are you with me there? Make sense? I hope you hear an encouraging heart there, not a condemning heart there. So what are we to sing? The text says we are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, depending on whom you read, you might get several pages arguing for differences in those three words. In fact, I honestly believe one of the best off-the-top-of-my-head jokes I ever made was someone asked me, Travis, what are the differences in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And we were in a particular church, and I said, well, psalms are in the Bible, and hymns are in the hymnal, and spiritual songs get shined up on the wall. And... Um, I, I was proud of myself. I really was. But that's not what those words mean. I don't even think, honestly, you're supposed to be spending a lot of time trying to figure out the differences in those three words. I believe a more faithful understanding of what Paul is doing right here is that he's saying that you are to sing all kinds of songs. You see, in the culture of the church, in the first century, in the Jewish culture, you would put three or four very similar words together in a list, not to emphasize the differences in those words, but to tell readers that a broad swath of meaning is being covered by those words. So, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, the Bible says that Jesus calls us to love the Lord our God with all your what? Heart and soul and Mind, very good. Some of you have been doing your scripture memory, haven't you? That is a memory verse for this week for some of you people. Now, 
Jesus was not telling you to spend time in your day wondering which part am I loving with. Oh, darn it, I love God with my heart today, but did I really do it with my mind? Oh, was that mind or was that soul? What do I do? That wasn't the point. The whole point that Jesus was making is love the Lord your God with everything you've got. All your innards, your brain, your emotions, your soul, everything you've got should be focused on loving the Lord your God. And I think it's very similar here that Paul is not telling you to distinguish one song from another. Instead, he's saying sing all kinds of spiritual and biblical and true God-glorifying songs. And that would include songs that come from the scriptures. And that would include songs from years gone by. And it will include new songs that express the truth of the Lord with joy and with beauty. Now, It might have been a surprise to some of you that I said that God commands you to sing to each other. Let me ask you, does that that surprise you all that that's your job to sing to each other? A couple are like, that's kind of new. It should not surprise you that we're called to sing to God, right? That's the one we know. The text says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, that's not saying that you only sing in your heart. It's not saying just sing silently. What it's telling you is that as you are filled with the Spirit, you will sing to the Lord with your heart engaged. You will seek not only to mouth the words of the song, but to also engage your emotions so that your whole being is taken up in worshiping the Lord. You get that? Children, do you get that? You're supposed to sing not just by saying the words, but by thinking about them and loving them. Now, When we have new members classes here at the church, one of the things I tell people is that we're trying to be committed to truth and beauty in our musical worship. What do I mean? We will not sing songs that are fun to sing, but which declare false things about God. And we will also do our very best to give our all so that we sing and play our very best so that the truths that we sing are as beautiful as we can make them. Because we're singing to one another for each other's good, we will see the singing in the worship service as our ministry to one another. Because we're singing to the Lord, we will see the musical part of our worship service as worshiping in faithful submission to the Lord. So if you are a spirit-filled Christian, you will sing. Third point. You all still with me? Okay, that helps me to know you're there. Give thanks. Give thanks filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Spirit-filled followers of the Lord are grateful. This too has been true from the beginning of creation through today, and it will be true for the rest of time and beyond. William Hendrickson says, Thanksgiving is grateful acknowledgement of benefits received. I really like that. Do you gratefully acknowledge the benefits you have received in the Lord? Because that's part of the spirit-filled life. 
Hendrickson then adds that thanksgiving presupposes that we understand that our blessings come from God, not from us, that we are not worthy of our blessings, and that they are great and many blessings. How many of y'all, and and voices, not hands, how many of y'all have read through the book of Exodus this year? All right. If you have, you've seen the opposite of Thanksgiving a lot, haven't you? Time after time, the people of Israel, rather than thanking God for God's goodness, grumble and complain and gripe. In the New Testament, remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers? He healed ten guys of a socially just devastating disease. How many came back and said thanks? One. Ingratitude is a very common sin. Now, I'm going to use one of our folks here. And I, I meant to ask him if it was okay for me to use him as an illustration, but I didn't. So I'm going to. So if you all, and you all know, if you all ask Randy, how are you doing? What is Randy's response to you? Better than I deserve, Better than I deserve is the answer. Very good. What would you call that, folks? That is an attitude of gratitude, isn't it? Even when things are hard, there is a recognition that God is good and that God has blessed us and that God has never given us the true and dark consequences of our sin. God has not cast us into hell as we deserve. And listen to me, Christian. Listen to me. Anything in your life less than hell is a kindness for which you should be grateful And that God would not only rescue us from hell, but that God would give us good food and homes to live in and air conditioning, friends. That God would give us technology that we can communicate with others, ready access to his word. All of these are tremendous blessings from God, and we should be a thankful people. So I want to ask you to check your heart right now. What words come out of your mouth most often? Are you more often thankful? Are you more often grumbling? Set your eyes on Jesus. Remember the fact that the Savior died to pay for your sins. Remember that Jesus adopted you into his family. Remember that Jesus promises you eternal life in joy forever to every person who comes to you in faith. Remember the blessings of the gospel and let it make your heart thankful. Let me take this opportunity to say that if you don't yet know the grace of God in Jesus I'm talking about right there, can I just tell you between you and me, today would be a great day for you to come to Jesus and find life. We're all sinful, every last one of us. We all deserve the judgment of God. Jesus died to pay for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave and offers salvation to every person who will genuinely come to him in faith. And it's not about religion. It's not about ceremony. It's not about ritual. It's not even about you being good. Jesus says he'll save your soul if you'll turn from living in sin and entrust your soul to him for salvation. So I invite you, come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. 
Ask him to be your savior and your Lord, and that will give you reason to be grateful. Let me show you a couple of other things real quick from this verse. When, when are we to be grateful? You look, you tell me, when are we supposed to be grateful? Always. That's easy, right? If you're a believer, you have always had a reason to be grateful to God. Even when life is hard, even when things are frustrating, you have solid reasons to give God thanks. Well, for what are we to give God thanks? Everything. Every breath God allows you to breathe is a blessing from God. Every trial that he keeps you alive through is a blessing. Every joy and every challenge is a thing that God is using to make you into the very thing God intends you to be. And we should be grateful for all that God allows in our lives. Now, I'm not saying thank God for evil things that men do or that men are. I'm not saying to thank God for evil or destruction. But in every circumstance, if you know Jesus, you have a reason to thank God for grace and for what God may do in and through you. As Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's doing something in your life always, and we should always be able to be thankful to God. And finally, for just the thanksgiving section, notice how the entire Godhead, all three persons of the one true God, are involved in our thanksgiving. The Trinity's here. We give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as we're filled with the Spirit. Gratitude is a mark of godly living. So Christian, I would recommend that you pray and ask the Lord to teach you to be a person with a heart that overflows with gratitude always and for everything. Give thanks filled with the Spirit. And our last point this morning, point number four, submit filled with the Spirit. Submit filled with the Spirit. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Spirit-filled followers of the Lord are an appropriately submissive people. This has been true from the beginning of humanity through today and through all of our lives. Followers of God are not selfish rebels who cringe at the idea of authority. Now verse 21 and then the whole section of verses that follow send some folks into a tizzy. Our culture does not like the word submit. And there are few passages in Scripture where you will hear Christians do more verbal gymnastics to try to not let the Word say what it says than the passage that we will be transitioning into from here. Because from 5.22 to 6.9, Paul is going to spell out for us three different relationships of authority and submission in the home. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. Some people try to find another meaning for the word submit in this verse. You know, maybe, maybe the Greek 
will let us out of the word submit. Have you ever tried that, by the way? Have you ever looked at the Bible and thought, man, maybe I can find something in the languages that makes this not say what it says because I don't like it? If you're honest, you probably have. Let's check, though. The word submit is the Greek word hupotasso, and it is a compound word that, means, that combines the word for under and the word for arrange or organize or select. And you know what the word means? It means to get under the authority of, an un- of another. It means to get under the arrangement or the organization of another. It means to be subject to another. It means to submit to authority. There is no trick in the language that is valid. The word submit means submit. Now, other people would say, well, the phrase to one another in that verse takes the sting out of everything that follows. In fact, there are some people that would say that this indicates that our submission is always totally equal and totally mutual. There have been books written on this one, folks. So they would be like, okay, yeah, I submit to you, but you must equally submit to me. Wives submit to husbands, but husbands submit to their wives. Children submit to parents, but parents submit to their children. Servants submit to their masters, and masters submit to their servants. So, in fact, the person who argues really passionately for mutual submission is going to tell you honestly that the one thing this passage does not mean is that anybody actually submits to anybody else because everybody submits to everybody else. Does that feel as silly to you? as it sounds to me. There is no way that reading this text fairly and without bias, a person can draw the conclusion that Paul intends to remove the concept of actual submission by commanding mutual submission. You certainly are not going to be able to draw that conclusion from all of the verses that follow. Listen, what Paul's saying is that if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you will have a particular attitude and a particular graciousness, and you will submit to authorities over you when there are authorities over you out of reverence for Christ. So because you love Jesus, you will never think that you're too good to submit to a leader who's over you. Now, why would I say reverence for Jesus includes willingness to submit to authority? Listen to Luke 2.51. Here's a verse you guys know very well. We're talking about the 12-year-old Jesus. And it says, And he went down with them, Mary and Joseph, went to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Did you hear that? Jesus... The God-man submitted, subjecting himself to the authority of human parents. He let them be in authority, even though he's God and they're mere humans. Even though he's wiser and more powerful, he demonstrated humility. Jesus voluntarily participated in a relationship of authority and submission while he's on earth. And if Jesus would allow himself to be made subject to the authority of others, what must you and I conclude about obeying the authority of others? 
if you are willing to be under another person's appropriate authority, it looks like Jesus. Now, I will add to this discussion. All human authority is to be exercised in love and under the Lord's ultimate authority. No person, no government, no husband, no pastor, no parent, no boss has the right to command you to do something God forbids. Neither does anyone have the authority to order you not to do what the Lord commands. So if you receive direction from an authority that would call you to violate the word of God, you must gracefully decline to obey. Even while you express a heartfelt desire to get under the authority of that leader if they will submit to God's command. There is such a thing as humble submission, right? There's also such a thing as gracious defiance. So, just imagine with me here, if your boss tells you to do something illegal at work, you have every right, in fact, every obligation to disobey. You could very, you could be nasty to your boss, right? Can you guys imagine someone being nasty to their boss? Nah, not you guys. You could, or you could be gracious. You could actually say to your boss, I'm sorry, boss, but the thing you're asking me to do is a thing I cannot obey. I want to follow your lead. So here's what I'm asking, boss. Would you please reconsider, please consider obeying the law here so that I can get under your authority and follow your lead? That's the kind of attitude that goes a long way toward honoring Christ and helping people submit well when we have the opportunity. Now, at the same time, the call to submit to one another does include a glorious, godly attitude of self-giving. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, very important verses talking about how we need to live in the church, say, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. <laughs> you know, if you're concerned first and foremost about the good of other people, you will let go of your personal desires and you will focus on meeting the needs of others, which means you will treat other people with grace. You will treat other people with kindness. You will treat other people with respect. You will believe the best about other people as far as you can. You will behave like Jesus who laid down his rights to come to earth to purchase our salvation and that will make you a decent leader. Listen to what Paul says in the same verses about Jesus. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, if we have the loving, self-giving attitude of Jesus in our lives, we will handle relationships of authority and submission well. Because when you're called to submit, who do you look like? 
you look like Jesus, when you are called by an authority to submit to a, to a thing that can be done under the word of God, you look like Jesus. If you're called to lead, you lead with the grace of Jesus in mind. And in either case, you honor the Lord as you submit filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? Well, it means that you are fully influenced by God's Spirit living in you through the Word of God, rightly interpreted and applied. We want to be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with God's Spirit, we will submit to one another and we will lead with grace. We will give thanks and we will put down sinful grumblings in our hearts. And we will sing. We will sing to the Lord. We will sing teaching and encouraging one another. Church, I pray that we will truly be a Spirit-filled church. Let's pray. Father, you've heard what we've said. I pray that it is genuinely right from your word. You've heard, Lord, how much we need you to fill us with your spirit and make us indeed behave as the people of God ought to behave. And I would plead with you, Lord, that we will be a spirit-filled church, singing, submitting, giving thanks, focusing on the word in ways that genuinely, genuinely please you. Father, forgive us our failings here. And where folks here don't know you or folks who hear this don't know you, I pray you not confuse them by, making, by allowing them to think that doing these things right make you a Christian. Instead, I pray you will draw them to your grace so they can find the joy in living as you've designed us to live. Do your work, God, in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.